You are about to enter a great adventure. This is Starting from Gorilla. Hey everybody, welcome to a new episode of Strutting from Gorilla Baby. We're going to be talking about the American dream, if you will, Dusty Rhodes. Dusty, get the hell out of here. All right, uh, this is Mikey Cash, uh, briefly taking over for Dusty over here. Uh, just wanted to in- just welcome you guys to our, our newest episode. I know it's been a little bit of a layoff since our, our last, uh, last time hanging out with all of you guys. So, Obviously, from what you can tell by our special guest today, we're going to be talking about Dusty Rhodes uh, and the legacy of this WWE Hall of Famer. Now, before we get into that, I just want to remind you that you can find the links to all of our socials, Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, Instagram. You can find all of those in our show notes, and you can also find it on our website, struttingfromgorilla.com. And if you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, feel free to leave us a five-star rating and review. We would really appreciate it. Now, Dusty, we're going to be talking about you today. Yeah, baby, we're talking about the WWE Hall of Famer, Dusty Rhodes, the American Dream. Yeah, if you will, we're going to be talking about all my accolades, baby, my influence on the nation, my influence on the pro wrestling business, if you will. All right, Dusty, we got it. We're going to do it. All right, God, where's Vito in all this? What up, Mikey Cash? I didn't know we had a special guest. I didn't know the dream was going to be here with us. I mean... These are hard times, Mikey Cash. Hard <laughs> times. It's been a while since we've been on here doing an episode. And uh, I know. No, I'm excited. This will be a good one. Um, you know, the American Dream, great influence in wrestling. Um, you know, I think he's someone that in today's uh, today's world uh, influenced a lot of the wrestlers coming mm-hmm. up, uh, which we'll talk about a little bit. But uh, fantastic episode. I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. And, um, you know, uh, Happy, happy to be back at this again. It's like our Zen. This is the one thing that that falls off in our daily lives that I feel like I need to come back to because it grounds me. When I have to talk about wrestling, when I put my energy into talking about pro wrestling, I feel like everything else becomes right with the world. I'm I'm a little bit like Shawn Michaels when he lost this smile, you know, like his life (laughs) sucked around him. But every time he was in the ring, everything was fine. But uh, that's a that's a great uh, great analogy. That's a great <laughs> yeah. analogy. I feel and now all our way. listeners think my life is terrible. So, <laughs> but uh, yeah, let's let's ju- dive right in. I I wanted to, I in preparation for this podcast, I watched the A and E documentary on him that I thought yep. was really good. They did a, a great job on it. Yep, and I watched that as well. I I ended up sort of going backwards then because then I I went to Peacock. Which is just, I'm going to say this forever until they finally change it. But God, Peacock is fucking awful terrible. to navigate for WWE terrible. stuff. It's terrible. just terrible. Like, I miss the old WWE network. The OG yep. one was so easy. You could just type in a wrestler's name, and not only did it give you pay-per-views that they were on, it would give you spotlighted matches. Yep. This doesn't give you anything. <laughs> it gives me absolutely nothing. So it's just awful. Awful terrible navigation terrible and we should start a petition to bring back the old wwe Jesus. network yep yep you know and now i wish i lived overseas because those people get the og network yep we don't we don't anyway damn you peacock but i waded through the waters and i did find the 2006 documentary that they released and it was the 
it's called the American Dream, the Dusty Rhodes story. Yep, that's when he came back to WWE really for the first time mm-hmm. in a while. Um, he had come back and he signed a Legends deal. Yeah, and part of it was promoting um, that documentary. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was, it was that, and and one, you know, it's really interesting what time does to the same story, because. If you watch and watching that one after the A and E one is like yeah. night and day, because you can tell when someone's still sort of involved in the business and there's like still resentments there. <laughs> you know, I think Dusty hadn't worked through some resentments that he had during that time, and yeah. neither had Dustin. So Goldust was in this documentary in, in 06. and you could tell like he was still sort of going through it at that time. You know, like I, you know everybody knows you know Dustin Rhodes. He's he's in sobriety. He's in recovery and. And it's it's he's so healthy now, but at that time it seemed like he was still sort of in the midst of it. So that sort of came out in some of the interviews that he had. But uh, I really I thought it was an interesting documentary. There were some there were some things in that 06 one that were different than the A and E, uh, where they went into a little bit more detail. Like for instance, I didn't know that before he was even involved in pro wrestling. I knew he was an athlete and that he played baseball. He played football. He was actually um, he got his uh, he got his name from the New York Giants baseball player John Dusty Rhodes. I didn't know that until I oh. watched that documentary. So like I must have missed that, that. I didn't know that either. Yeah. So back in the day, there like New York had four like altogether it had like four teams. So it was like the Yankees, the Giants, the Dodgers, and the Mets. So it was like just to explain that it's not the New York Giants football team. But yeah, no, that makes sense. No, that makes sense. Yeah, you know I what I liked about that, that documentary um, and really just in general mm-hmm. is when Dusty came up through the uh, pro wrestling, which actually happened in Boston, right? He, yeah. uh, he kind of just faked his way into one of the wrestling schools over here. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was friends with the funk brothers, right? So he yeah. came and, and found his way to, to do wrestling here. But what I like about Dusty is he came in, at a time where he was just a ordinary Joe, like he didn't yeah. have the superstar Billy Graham body or the physique of some of these other guys out there. And he came in and he was really relatable to the people. And mm-hmm. when, you know, in the late seventies, early eighties, I think people took to that a lot yeah. more because people were going through hard times. People, people had a lot going on and yeah. they had someone they could relate to who was charismatic in the ring, who, who was fighting as an everyday type of person. And he was going up against, you know, like the Ric Flair's, I would put Ric Flair as probably one of his top rivalries. Oh, but yeah, I think absolutely. it was, I think it was more about the fact that they were two different people. You know, Ric Flair was the Rolex wearing limousine driving uh you know rich guy who got everything and the title right. meant everything to him and and dusty Rhodes was the guy who came from nothing and was uh was trying to beat this guy and and the title meant even more and right. um it, it, it to me it was a perfect clash and then his charisma in the ring people loved it at that time i'm not sure his character would uh would resonate in the same way today that it did back then. I think it, it can in a different light, uh, but not, not the way that it did back then. And I would agree with you. I think, cause I do think he could still relate to people now. I think he could still draw people in. I think 
well, you have to look at it in context of the life that he grew up, like sort of the era he grew up in and then the era of, of the fans at that time yeah. and what they were looking for. I mean, you look at the late 70s and 80s, and I think in that context, too, there was a lot of union busting at that time. There was a yeah. lot of guys like getting forced yeah. into retirement. And that's, my point. Like, that's that's the whole premise of the the hard times promo that, yeah. he, that he gives. So I, I think people he had credibility because he lived like them. Yeah. And it was very, and I think the the culture where he was wrestling down in the south, down in Florida, like there was a lot of there's a lot more, you know, the southern hospitality, the 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 community. So I feel like people really felt like they knew him. And I think when you feel that closely connected to somebody, you're going to want to support them. And and Dusty was able to tap into that for people because he talked like you and me. And and I think that's just with that's the, the credibility. That's that's the thing where if they if they think you're authentic, you know, you always hear the Rock say it too. Like the Rock says it, John Cena says it. Anybody that ever made it in this business always says if they don't think that you're being authentic, they're going to call the bullshit a mile away. Yeah, and they're never going to get behind you. And Dusty was somebody who was never any bullshit. He, he was who he was. He was the son of a plumber. He grew up in poverty. He knew what it was like not to have anything. And I, yeah. and at that time, there was a lot of people who, who were growing up like that, who were still living like that, and wrestling was their escape, and they got to see somebody make it that they could identify with. And that was really important. That was really important. Yeah, no, I completely agree, uh, Mikey. I just, you know, and the other t- part of it, too, is you go back to the that, that time, you know, there was no internet. There was no televised wrestling, or at least not very much. And people only new wrestling as they they you know people had a hunch that it was probably fake or scripted but you know people treated it as as if it was a real sporting event right and you'd hear the whispers and the rumors and it only added to the myth of some of these wrestlers so when all of a sudden you have a guy you know they have they have a guy that's got this physique but he doesn't have charisma you know what i mean um kind of like your superstar billy graham right? Like he's got this physique, he could wrestle, but was he really as charismatic as Dusty Rhodes? Eh, maybe. Well, I, don't, I don't think many people were. He was no, very... but that's But that's my point. Like now you have this guy who's just completely different and people can relate to and people talked about him, right? Yeah. And and promoters wanted him um, because the, the crowd got behind him. Um, he was fun to watch. And uh, it, it, it was just a different era back then. And I've talked about this before, and I think it's a it's just a trend, right? It's a different mentality back then when people had to scratch and claw to make a living as opposed to today where people sign these deals and it's kind of like, oh, I, I think of, of Baron Corbin, right? Like the guys had 20 different gimmicks and none of them have really taken off except for maybe one. But like how many chances are you going to get, right? And he's still getting paid. Whereas like some of these guys, if, if, if they weren't working and they weren't moving around and, and trying to, to scratch and claw to get to the top. Now, I'm not saying that these guys don't work hard today. That's not my point. It's just the chances they have are different. Um, I mean, people were fighting for a living. I mean, I think there was a story where um, Dusty was basically living in his car, you know, to, mm-hmm. to, to get out and have a chance to wrestle. And you just... You, you don't see that as much anymore. And I don't think sometimes that urgency 
isn't shown as much. I'm, it's just a different generation. It's not a bad right, thing. Right. It's, it's just a, just thing. a different thing. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why you got so many people when they made it to the top, like, you know, Stone Cold. To stay there, you got to sacrifice. And I mean, you saw it with, with Dusty and his marriage with his kids. I mean, I think, mm-hmm. um, you know, Goldust and, and Cody and his sisters basically all said in the interview, like, you know, I had a dad, but we never saw him. Mm-hmm. You know, and he was a great dad, but we never saw him. And and I think Dustin Goldust basically wanted wanted his dad in his life. He's like a, a kid needs his father, you know. Mm-hmm. And I was craving for it my whole life. And you know, when you're on the road like that, especially back in the day when transportation wasn't as uh, as easily accessible, or right. you know, you're you're running from town to town to town to town, wrestling, you know, six out of the seven days a week, it becomes challenging. And you see it with their relationships with their wives. You know, it was he basically got divorced, um, and met someone who was a wrestling fan that liked him and understood the lifestyle and uh was able to be with him a, a lot better than 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 the wife he had before i think that's always going to be a challenge for any wrestler or any sort of entertainer or any sort of performer actor the people are always going to be traveling around and that takes you away from your family and there's that is still to this day one of the biggest challenges especially in pro wrestling and i think you know, you talk about how the business has changed. One of the ways I think it's changed for the better is this idea of uh, when you look at WWE now, right? For all the, their faults, look at what they do with traveling. When, you know, Seth Rollins is on Raw, Becky Lynch is on Raw. They're, trying, they're, they're doing a better job of trying to at least keep families together that, when possible. Um, but I don't want to get too far off because we're talking about no, yeah. here. But yeah. You know, talking about the era that Dusty grew up in, though, and came up in, to your point, you're right. It, it was a it, the territorial system was very different, and there was a lot more secrecy still around how you got into the pro wrestling business because there was still that kind of very intense protection of the business. You wanted to make sure people thought it was real, and I and it's it's the kayfabe, brother. You know, everybody talks about that, and we joke around about it now, but I think. At that time, it was still incredibly important because it was it, there was it felt as though everybody in in the business at that time had this sort of chip on their shoulder of wanting to make sure that this business was protected, outsiders weren't allowed in, and that people thought that this was real, and we needed to sell it like it was real. You yep. didn't travel with with guys that you were feuding with. You didn't stay in the same hotels. Everything about your life was different because you wanted to show the people when they saw you out in public at a diner or at a restaurant or whatever that you know, you were you were still feuding with this guy and and you would never see Dusty Rhodes at a diner with Ric Flair, right? So it was it was really it it was it's cool because it's almost like it. I almost look at it as a, a form of method acting. You know, you just you take you you hear stories about actors doing that and how like weird it can get. But yeah. that's exactly what pro wrestlers did. Yeah, you lived that gimmick outside everywhere. Whenever you were going to be around people, you you lived that gimmick. Yeah, and that's incredible dedication. Yeah, no, and you know, I I think Dusty represents that that old school class. But here's the thing, okay, you know, the what makes him so unique is I like the fact, and this is just me personally, mm-hmm. that. 
he's wrestled in WWE. He's wrestled in NWA. I would say arguably the NWA is probably uh, his best tenure. Um, WCW on a couple occasions, he's been um, behind the scenes as a booker and an agent and a producer. Um, and I, I think his impact on the business is, is a lot bigger than a lot of mm-hmm. other people's. Yeah. But it's less about, hey, the impact that he made in the ring. Not that he didn't make a big impact in the ring. I think he obviously did, and he connected with fans like we talked about. Right. But I would tell you that his knowledge and the way he did things outside of the ring, like I'll give you an example. Um, he's kind of like the the father of gimmick matches, if you really think about it. Like, And I think they used to call it the dusty finish, mm-hmm. where he would have these finishes that – kind of were ridiculous and and they worked in a live arena but i think as television came along those finishes where you know you know you you the the referees distracted and Mm -hmm. you know what i mean the the the, i'm not calling false finishes i don't know the exact word for it but they just don't they don't come across as well on a um television uh broadcast and i i think as time went along he he was a definitely a a pioneer in those types of matches and finishes but as time went along i think the wrestling world evolved a little bit right um so you know it's just an interesting thing to see and he's got so much respect i mean is there anybody who really talks down about dusty Rhodes? I, not that I can see. I mean, I'm sure. I'm sure it's there, right? No. I'm sure if, if if you look hard yeah. enough, we could always find somebody. Even if you look at us, right? It, it could happen for us. But I think uh, to to your point about his ability to book, I think he's like any great booker that we've seen in the industry. They're good for a while, and yeah. it and for him, his tenure was quite long because not only was it in WCW where I think he really started to to thrive as a booker, but it, it also went uh, beyond that because he also had a hand in TNA in their early days, like 03 to 05. He was sort of part of that creative process when they were sort of getting their feet off the ground. And I didn't really know that. I had to do some sort of internet digging and, and sort of found that. When it was good before Vince Russo came along. Before, yeah. I mean, anything before Vince Russo. But uh, yeah, I, I thought it was really, I think he he's somebody who has a really good mind for the business. And I thought that, even back in WCW when he was booking, the seeds were already being planted for him eventually going into the role he had in NXT as sort of this mentor and teacher. Because if you ever watch the Paul Heyman documentary, he talks about how he snuck into a booking meeting once. I think it was in WCW and Dusty was there and Dusty didn't kick him out, but Dusty just made him stay. And he was like, all right, listen, baby, you're going to learn something. And then he (laughs) sort of, took Paul under his wing and I at one of the handful of matches that I think Dusty ever had in ECW were because of Paul Heyman's just reverence for Dusty Rhodes and wanting to help him and wanting to make sure that he was feeling confident again because I think according to Cody if that promo was true it sounds like he had he was kind of had a struggle of confidence there and and Paul Heyman was able to help him out um which just makes me love ECW a little bit more because I feel like they always did little things like that uh, with people, but uh, this isn't an yeah. ECW podcast. Yeah, but, but 
but I'll also tell you that it's the one thing that's great about ECW. You know, they had this like crappy promo and maybe their yep. storylines were a little over the top, but I mean, their reverence for the industry was a lot bigger than you than, expect than you really understand. Right. Like it's, it wasn't just guys smashing each other with trash cans and diving into audiences Their their influence came from a lot of things and and but they would also still take the old school guys you know like the terry funks and yeah bring yeah. in dusty back i remember the so he came on board right when tna uh tna uh right when tnn took on the ecw um uh weekly show that didn't mm-hmm. last very long and he had a feud with steve carino yep which at the time I, i'm not a big steve carino guy um it, but he and Dusty was well past his prime, right? Mm-hmm. But it it added to the legend of the guys that were there. You yeah. know, it just gave them, it gave Steve Carino, you know, more exposure, being like, oh, he can wrestle with Dusty. You know what I mean? And it was just a different side of Dusty that you hadn't seen because he was, you know, the the American dream baby. You know what I mean? Like he was the the all-American type guy. You don't you didn't really see him get down and dirty in the, the hardcore style of wrestling. Yeah, um, yeah. And, but, but I think Paul Heyman knew at that time, Hey, look, this guy has such a, a place in people's hearts of the fans because they related to him so well that, you know, you could create this evil villain very easily, you know, um, especially when he was a little bit older and fragile and, you know, Steve Carino is smashing him with the chair. Right. And, and, and it created this, character made him a, a really big heel um so it was an interesting time but i i think we've kind of jumped past a lot of stuff here we um, did we did so uh, let's let, 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 let so quickly you know he starts in the in the wrestling business right um let, let's talk about that a little bit and kind of like the evolution of where he came from and 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 how he got to the end of his career yeah because it's really interesting it's different than most people because Think about this, Mike. What is everybody's dream when they were a wrestler, right? They wanted to be in the big stage, which is WWE, mm-hmm. Vince McMahon, you know, and and Dusty was big before WWE was even uh, uh, this this monster. What it was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and he kind of like went every way he could to not be in WWE and work for Vince. <laughs> Well, it, it's interesting because I, I almost look at it as a zigzag because he he does some stuff in, in the AWA. I think that's based out of Minnesota, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and then he's he's doing some AWA stuff. He's down in Florida Championship Wrestling. Yeah, that was his um, own. It sounds promotion. like they're all like like offshoots of NWA at that time. Because yep. when I was looking it up, it's this is like that old territory system that I that I'm trying to grasp. But there's still some things that I don't fully get. But it was sort of all offshoots of the NWA and they sort of had different like divisions depending on like what territory they were in, but it was still under the NWA. So he was sort of all around down there winning some championships. And then I think he got offered to come up by Vince. Vince, I don't know if, I think it might've been Vince senior at that time because it was 1977 when he Mm -hmm. was going up there and fighting superstar Billy Graham. Yep. And I was I, I was lucky enough yesterday to finally I bought it on eBay last week in preparation for this podcast, but I actually bought that 06 documentary that I was talking about on DVD. 
because uh, another knock against Peacock is that when you go to the extras on that documentary, none of the matches that are like on the DVD set are even on there. So I'm like, well, what, what the hell is the point of this? So I, I bought it just so that I could try to watch some of them. And I got to watch two matches this morning. It was, they were both against superstar Billy Graham. It was the Texas bull rope match, which was actually only like seven minutes. Yep. It was just like an absolute car wreck, but it was great. Uh, <laughs> and then I watched their, I, it was their very first encounter in 1977. And dude, I, I gotta say, I mean, superstar Billy Graham had like nuclear heat, like people <laughs> friggin' hated that guy. He was so flamboyant. He was, I mean, I, we've seen it before and, and he's even said it in interviews. He was a huge influence for Hulk Hogan. So you can see yeah. the foreshadowing of what might be later on, but man, people loved dusty up there. Even it, it, you would, it was amazing to me to watch like a, a whole market who, like you were saying before the internet, before there was really that kind of exposure to international wrestling or even other regions of the world wrestling. It was really cool to see that that New York crowd was heavy into dusty. It, it was really amazing to see. And that match was great. Dusty, especially I, I would say that was kind of his prime at that point. And he was agile, top rope stuff. He was doing everything. And, and the match itself told a great story. And to your point of like the dusty finish, they sort of did something where like he hits Billy Graham, he knocks him out of the ring and he can't get back by the count of 10. So he gets counted <laughs> out and dusty thinks he won the title and he's got, he puts it around his waist and then the, the ring announcer like takes it off him. And he's like, <laughs> he's like, it you know, and basically just says, Oh, sorry, but the title can't change hands on a, on a count out. So you're still your WWWF champion, superstar Billy Graham. And everybody just goes crazy. Everyone's yeah. all pissed off. It's, it was great. It was great. But that I, uh, if I, if I'm getting my timeline, right, it was after that series of matches he had with him that I think Vince jr. Was saying to him, why don't you stay up here? Why don't you come back up here and on a more permanent basis? And he turned it down. And I, yep. and I wonder what he was seeing at that time. I don't know if he saw the writing on the wall that, that Vince, as we know him, was sort of coming into power. Uh, so, and you, we all know over the years that Vince is very much a control freak. And I, I think part of Dusty's charm is he sort of liked operating independently. He didn't like really having a boss. So I think him seeing that, him yeah. seeing sort of how Vince operated or Vince Jr. at least, I think it was a lot more. There was going to be a lot more control. It was going to be a lot more. A lot more limitations might have been placed on him. So I think he might have just said, "Hey, I, I'd rather just keep doing what I'm doing down here," and and that did work out for him. But yeah, I think he was more of a. I think he wanted to produce, be a producer, right? Mm -hmm. Like that's the thing I got from it, and he wanted to use his creativity. And you're right, I don't think he wanted that that control. But, you know, what I find interesting is, you know, so he really started at World Class Championship Wrestling, which is really funny because I feel like everyone we talk about from old school days, it's kind of like the NXT of the territories, right? Mm -hmm. Like everyone started there um, with Fritz von Erich. And then he went on and uh, went into the, the National Wrestling Alliance, right? And that's kind of where I think the NWA at that time was like the Holy grail of yeah. the territories and the champion, whoever it was most likely 
Ric Flair because I feel like he was champion forever there. I think um, Harley Race. Yeah, and Harley. Oh, yeah, Harley Race, too. Um, he had some great matches with Harley Race. But the thing about the NWA champion is they're kind of like Roman Reigns right now. Like, they didn't change hands very much. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? The, the title didn't change hands very much. And so when he went into NWA, for him to win the NWA title against Harley Race, which he did, is a huge deal. And I think they were showing clips in the documentary too about like all the fans rushing in and his Mm -hmm. family. And you could tell it was a really authentic, like, I can't believe I won. I'm this working class hero. And people just resonate. I think that's really when everything took off for him because now he became a legitimate champion. Um, You know, beating the likes of guys like Harley Race. I'm, Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm pretty sure he beat Ric Flair once for the title. Um, which is a, a, a big, big deal. Yeah. Um, so, you know, he goes on to NWA. He spends probably 10 years there till like 1984. Um, and then he goes into Jim Crockett promotions, right? Um, and while he was working in the NWA, Mike, I think this is where you saw him um, in, in WWF or WWF at that time. Right. Um, yeah, I it, it's hard to keep up with the timelines. I know it is. some of that stuff it is. like it was like well, it was like the because, late seventies when he was in. Yeah, he had that series of matches, but I but yeah, it's because in the territory system, it wasn't once you were in one promotion, you could go to other promotions. Like people would lend superstars yeah, to yeah, other they promotions. Would swap talent and, around. It was just sort of the way things. Yeah, were. yeah. So it's hard to keep that timeline. I get that, but. um I think after his run at NWA, he went on to the Jim Crockett promotions, right? And this is where he fought guys like Terry Funk, Abdullah the Butcher, mm-hmm. um, Harley Race, um, guys like that, right? And I think that's kind of where his uh, legacy started to grow even more, right? Um, and, and I think he had more influence in there. He was allowed to be more creative. Um, I'm pretty sure he was the one that came up with the Starcade. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, he created it. Event, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and then when he's in there, he, that's when he gives the Hard Times um, uh, promo, which really just skyrocketed. I mean, it's probably, I would tell you, up there with, some one of the best promos of all time, right? And yeah. and you could arguably say it. I would think the Austin three sixteen one is up there, right? Uh, for our generation, yeah, for our generation That's for sure. Good. And I would tell you this is the, this is this is kind of the same concept mm-hmm. um, for for you know that late seventies wrestling. It it's one of those things where when people watch that promo again the, the the term i keep using is resonate because he resonated with people and there's a reason that that promo stands the test of time it's because when people watch that they see themselves they see their dad they see their uncle they see their mom they see the people that have struggled they see the people that have gone through hot times baby right so i think there there's something almost timeless about that promo cuz you wa- i watch that now and you think to yourself this is still stuff that's happening to people Yep, and there's a there's a so I I think that this particular promo isn't something like 
I think a lot of wrestling and a lot of entertainment in general that just doesn't age well, right? It, it's sort of, it's, it's specific to the time period it's from. And then when you sort of move on from that, it, it feels a little out of place. It feels a little like it doesn't translate. But I don't, I don't feel that way about the Dusty Rhodes promo. No. No, not at all. Not at all. Um, like I said, it's probably one of the more influential, influential um, interviews and promos that are in the history of wrestling. Yeah. So, so he gets into to Jim Crockett promotions, um, and I think at that time, you know, he starts really getting into his producer and booking roles, and you know that's where he came up with the you know the dusty finishes and started booking these super card events and. They were really, you know, at that time, now WWF is starting to pressure people buying territories. Mm -hmm. And um, it was probably their biggest competition. So I think that in part, when when you're competitors, it's like it's like a, the Red Sox and Yankees rivalry, right? Like a Red Sox player did not want to necessarily go to the Yankees and a Yankees player did not want to go to the, the Red Sox, not because they right. weren't good teams, but they had this intense rivalry and you didn't like each other. And especially... Mm -hmm. He was, you know, basically involved in the development of of Jim Crockett promotions, right? So now all of a sudden you have to take a back seat in his eyes to to go mm -hmm. and, and be a wrestler there. Yeah. I think that was the concept of of why he said no. Right, um, but, but then he ends up doing it anyway because all all the shit that happened with Jim Crockett promotions and the mismanagement yeah. and he uh, I think in his quite honestly I think he did what probably a lot of wrestlers have done when they've gone to WWE. They recognize that they may not necessarily be used the way they'd ideally like to be, but that the paycheck is going to be good and it's going to be consistent for him. Uh, so I, 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 he didn't really say that. I know I'm, I know a lot of this is me just sort of interpreting some of the things he said, but he, he does mention a little bit about making a certain amount of money while he was over there. And so if he had to wear fucking polka dots, he was wearing polka dots. If they sent Sapphire out there with him as like his manager slash mixed tag team partner occasionally, I think he was just sort of along for the ride, even if it was like a rib, like they thought. Um, I just, you know, I, I feel bad talking about his time in WWF because I don't, I it wasn't anything that really resonated with me. I watched some of it. And it's fine. He has some matches with Randy Savage that I think were pretty good. They yep. had a, a Ted DiBiase with um, yeah against Ted DiBiase, who, by the way, he went to college with. Oh, I didn't know a, that. He went. To, so this is why I watched that other one. So they they talk. They they go into like a little bit more detail. <laughs> he went to college with Ted DiBiase and Terry Funk, West Texas University, baby. It's crazy like what the odds that those three just end up at the same college together and then end up also sort of crossing over in pro wrestling it, it was kind of amazing but um yeah so he he has some matches with him that's where we first see dustin is in the as like the early 90s with him uh coming out and fighting ted dibiase and was it virgil too did we get a virgil sighting during those, um, those years i can't I think so. I'm gonna say yes. Okay. I'm gonna say maybe yes. you're, maybe you're right. Yeah, maybe you're right. I think you might be right because I mean, if he's fighting Ted DiBiase, million um, dollar man version Ted DiBiase. Yeah. 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 Yep. Yeah. I think you're right um, because he was also in Survivor Series mm -hmm. 
1990 Survivor Series. Yeah. Um, and it was him, Brett, Jim Neinhart, and Coco Be- Beware, right, against the Million Dollar Team. <laughs> yeah. Wow. God. Yep. <laughs> God. Yep. Yeah, it's just a weird... What a weird time, because the it very was a next weird year, time. Uh, yeah. didn't, didn't The Undertaker debut? I think you're year, right. The 91? Yeah. Yep, I yeah. think you're right. Wow, that's yeah, weird. What a, a weird time frame that was. Yeah, here's an interesting one. He was in the 1990 Royal Rumble, too, and he actually eliminated Bret Hart. <laughs> wow. wow. Yeah, and then he was thrown, then he was actually eliminated by Earthquake. <laughs> <laughs> Good old Earthquake. Yeah, oh God. yeah. It's just a weird time in wrestling. Like, uh, you know, I think it was like at that time, you know, people were starting to get a, to, to kind of lose interest in the character gimmicks. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And there, it, it was just a weird time for wrestling. Like, not a bad time, just very interesting no. time. Yeah, I think you were going from a lot of the old school ways to now it's becoming more it transitioning. Yeah, for sure, mm-hmm. for sure. So I think he spent like maybe I don't know three years from like eighty nine. So after you know, after he was part of the the. Uh, the basically you know, early WCW is what I call it. Yeah. So basically he was part of Jim Crockett promotions. Then they, you know, basically became WCW. He was let go and um, he, he didn't want to join uh, WWF at the time. So they, he, he started kind of going through a diff, couple different promotions. Um, and then he was part of the professional wrestling Alliance. Right. And, um, he did not want to sell to I think Vince McMahon was trying to make the professional wrestling Alliance, like a developmental territory for WWF. Mm -hmm. Um, And he did not want to do that. But the other people who are stakeholders in this promotion said, yeah, well we're selling because it's good money. And basically at that point, Dusty did not want to do that. Did not want to do that. So he left. Um, And, uh, and basically they offered him uh, a deal at the World Wrestling Federation. He said, "Kind of yes," and uh, there he is. You're right. Yeah. You get the. I think that's the polka dot, polka dot suit. All, sort of. Yeah, polka mm-hmm. dot suit, Dusty, which I think was supposed to be a way of, you know, how Vince McMahon does that. If you're not on my side, I'll find a way to to bite you. And mm-hmm. that was kind of one of the reasons behind it. So he does his run there, and. Um, well, then he returns to WCW. Yeah, and, and then, he, then that's where that's he when of... he re- yeah, that's when I think he took off more as a booker in WCW. Right, uh, he had a huge like following there, and and WCW is weird, I, and it's hard for me to keep track. It's kind of like the territories, right? Like they went through so many different people booking matches there. Like you yeah. had him booking matches, you had Jim Crockett booking matches, you had um, Bill Watts booking matches, you mm-hmm. had. Rick Flair at one point booking matches, which is the worst decision ever because he just tried to put himself over every single time. Um, and I think the people in WCW lean towards Dusty, like the wrestlers lean towards yeah. him um, as like the guy they could talk to. And he listened to them. Like I remember reading in the Vader book about how Dusty was a huge Vader fan, but Rick Flair hated Vader and he was like handcuffed and Dusty didn't have enough influence to push him over. It was like this whole thing. 
Mm-hmm. And I, I feel like that happened a lot. You know, there's like a good old boys club with Ric Flair. I'm sure. And, and it was one of the reasons why I think at that time, a lot of people left WCW, like Stone Cold, Triple H, Mankind, The Undertaker, Kevin Nash. All of them came over to WWF at that time because they're just in disarray. Fl- yeah. yeah, they, they didn't like the, the booking going on there. And I, I get it. It makes sense. But I think that's really where he took off as a booker. And um, and I'll, I, you can see his influence in a lot of the matches uh, out there as well, you know. Yeah. Um, and, and he was still active as a wrestler, but I don't think it was as often as, you know, it was back in, you know, the the old days. Um, and, and I think also Dusty came up with a War Games match. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, it's a talk about a contribution to yeah. the business. Uh, you and I were lucky enough to now see a War Games match at, oh, at Survivor Series this last year. It was really awesome. And yep. so, you know, just kind of following along that route. So he goes back to WCW and now he he's sort of really leaning into the sort of the creative, the booking part, I think, of his career. Because like you said, yeah, he wrestled, but it wasn't nearly on that full time basis anymore. I don't think his body could really handle it any at this, that moment. Um, so he had... I'm trying to think of some notable matches that I remember seeing a little bit later on. I did watch his WCW stuff. I mean, his uh, ECW stuff. And it was good. You know, it was fine. I felt like it was, you could tell, obviously, he was like a little older and it was, the 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 skill set was different, right? Like he was slowing down, but he made it work. And, and Steve Carino made him look really good. Uh, I also found, luckily found it on Peacock. But Grand American Bash, I want to say 2007, it's Randy Orton versus Dusty Rhodes in a Texas bull rope match. It's, it's actually pretty badass. Randy Orton's fucking brutal in that match. Just absolutely destroys Dusty. Um, but I give Dusty a lot of credit for even doing that match. I mean, this guy, we were just talking about him fighting superstar Billy Graham in 1977. And now here he is in 2007, 30 years later, wrestling Randy Orton in a bull rope match. Like, wow. Just to put that guy over. Um, and I think that is the last match he had. I think he might have maybe was involved in some Survivor Series uh, team. I might have been in 07. When, whenever Ric Flair and Roddy Piper were the tag team champions, which was just bonkers that they were ever tag team champions in the 2000s but right <laughs> like when i look back on it i'm thinking to myself wow i just like watched this week to week and thought oh this is normal yeah i mean uh i i think his tenure in w- wcw you know from like 91 to 2000 ish i i think it was just like it was kind of synonymous with WCW. They never really had much direction and they were kind of all over the place, but somehow they fell in and made decent matches um, during that time. Uh, But it, it, it it just, it was all over the place. There was no great leadership. And so he was a, he was a a wrestler and I, you know, I, I, again, I don't, I don't know how much of the wrestling, like I can't think of many matches off the top of my head in WCW at that time Uh, that he did. I I don't have a lot of memories of that either. And I tell you one one thing further is that even on this DVD set that I have, a lot of the matches aren't even full matches. So I think there's some, there, there, there might be something where there's a lot of footage lost on some of the matches he had in his career, because I was trying to watch some of the AWA stuff. Uh, Even, 
some of his matches against Terry Funk and there were like just little five minute reviews where you would hear him talking to, I think it was even like Gordon Soley and he would just sort of give him a recap of the match, but it wasn't, you weren't watching the full match. So I think it, it, there, there's some lost footage here of, of some of the matches that he had that I think could yeah. really encapsulate what he was about and especially during his prime because you have the matches with flair and all that like the stuff that is on peacock i think is is fine but i i I do think that there is a lot of missing footage or or just degraded footage stuff like that that just kind of got lost to time unfortunately yeah no you're probably right it just it seems like he was he was a booker and then he was a manager for ron simmons you know (laughs) a little bit while he was there um and i think he was a big big influence in Ron Simmons uh, winning the WCW title Mm -hmm. uh, at the time. Um, He was a commentator, right? And I think he had a feud with uh, Tony Schiavone. Oh, no, Larry Zbysko. I'm sorry, not Tony Schiavone. Um, uh, And, and, uh, you know, it it just kind of... And then he became... Wasn't he part of the NWO to some degree? I think briefly he was. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, who wasn't at that point? Right. Like, everybody. yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, you know, uh, after, you know, he left WCW, that's mm-hmm. when he kind of, and, and, you know, I don't, I think you had mentioned at that point, he kind of lost his, uh, his sparkle and his confidence. Mm-hmm. I mean, after all of that, who wouldn't like, yeah. it, it just seems kind of crazy. And then he goes on to, to ECW and, and spends probably about a year there before, um, before they really kind of disintegrated as a whole um and then uh you know goes on to some independent stuff uh after ecw and then finally goes to to tna in about 2003 to 2005 time frame i would see uh and again a, a lot of that was was backstage producing um i don't uh, did he wrestle a lot there? I, I can't I remember so. I don't seeing remember him wrestling any, any matches there. Maybe there's something there that we just didn't see. If, yeah, if again, I didn't... And, and you know of any matches? Let us know. We want to. Yeah, find them. I think you just had a. It was more of a, um, a backstage presence, and maybe came out. Uh, but I, I'm pretty sure he was a a, a booker there, and um, mm-hmm. then kind of continued to go on to do more independent stuff. And then I think the best thing he did was um his return to wwe in 2005 yeah right um i think that was a a a real big deal um that that he came back um he signed a legends deal um and i think it really gave the wwe fans an opportunity for him to be showcased and really show his influence in in the wrestling world yeah, it, it was. This was sort of the twilight of his career. He was able to come in here, and I, I, I don't know who it was that maybe thought that he could contribute in some way to the developmental. But it, maybe it was Vince himself. Maybe it was Triple H, or kind of a, an amalgam of a, whoever the the heads were at the top over there. I, I think he, he shined bright as a mentor. And that happened even with Paul Heyman, right? I think that that right there was, like I said before, that was sort of the the first sign of it, that he was able to mentor Heyman and get him acclimated to the business and get him prepared for what he was going to end up doing. And so he he transitions to that 
the years later, now we got FCW slash NXT starting up, and he has way more of a hands-on role in teaching people how to cut promos and teaching people how to feel authentic to the crowd. And you, you can run down the list of people at the top of the card today, and all of them have a Dusty story. Yeah, All of them can talk about something that Dusty said to one of them that helped something click. Whether it's Kevin Owens, whether it's Seth Rollins, Becky Lynch, Bailey, Sasha Banks, Mercedes, it's the list can go on and on. I mean, Charlotte, all of them. His influence on the business is still felt very much so to this day. It's a really wonderful to see. Help those people get comfortable. Help them find their it. Help them find what was going to resonate with other people. And I think it's wonderful because if there was one person who I think did it as naturally as anyone, it was probably Dusty Rhodes. Yeah. And it's funny because um, you kind of see a lot of Dusty Rhodes, not necessarily in Dustin Rhodes, but in Cody. In Cody. Right? Cody did the exact same thing that his father did. He said, hey, you know, I'm not feeling it here. This isn't what I want to do. And he left. And he went backwards. But if he didn't go backwards to figure it out, he wouldn't be where he is today. Um, and I love it. I love that he calls himself the American Nightmare, and it's like a little bit different playoff right. of his dad. But it's the same concept, you know. And um, it, it's great to see, and more so than anything, what I like about Cody and 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 Dusty. And I don't know Dustin Rhodes Goldust as much, you know. You know his character. But like their respect for the business and understanding of it is like if you watch the the interview with Cody Rhodes and um, Stone Cold Steve Austin, listening to Cody talk, it's like, dude, this guy knows the business, man. Mm-hmm. And he did what his dad did. Like he was influential backstage and could probably, I think AEW, I think AEW is worse off without him. Um, but I think you know, he made a decision. I'm not ready to do that yet. I want to continue wrestling. Mm-hmm. And that's where he went. And yeah. it's, it's like, it's kind of like his dad. Um, and, uh, I think it's really cool. And I think, you know, his, his, uh, Dusty's legacy in the business is definitely unique and it's a big footprint. And, um, you know, you can see it with his kids, um, coming up as, as second generation wrestlers. And, uh, the only thing I will say about, uh, Dusty Rhodes is, God, his finisher was terrible. With the bionic elbow? Oh, I thought it was awful. I hmm. it, it it's second to the, the leg people's drop. elbow. No, the <laughs> leg drop. The leg drop. The Hogan leg drop I, was terrible. Uh, dude, he it, the bionic elbow influenced the people's elbow. That makes if sense. It wasn't for that. No, that but, makes sense. And even Hogan, like Hogan yeah. said, you know, he did an interview and he was basically like, you know, I watched Dusty Rhodes. He was the guy that I liked the most. Yeah. And he's he's like, I think he said in the, the AW or, a- or the A&E one. Yeah. A&E um, documentary. He, I think he said, uh, he's like, hmm, what if you had a guy that had charisma like Dusty Rhodes, but the physique of Superstar Billy Graham. Billy, Graham. Billy yeah. Graham. I wonder how that would work. And he's like, I think it worked. Because that's what <laughs> I did. <laughs> right, right. Man, it's, it's great. Uh, it, so... I mean, I feel like we're starting to come up against it here, but uh, like yeah. for me, my my overall summation of Dusty Rhodes is he was someone who people could relate to. He taught you that 
you didn't have to be uh you didn't have to look like you didn't have to look like superstar billy graham to be over um, yeah because he obviously didn't have that kind of physique but he showed that it was really people got behind somebody that had the kind of heart that he did and he was able yeah. to convey that heart through his words and that's an incredibly important aspect of professional wrestling nowadays and it was back then too, but I think you could sort of get away with it if you couldn't really cut a promo. And now it's much more of a necessity for you to be able to get on the mic and express to people why this match that's coming up is important to you. He knew how to do that. Yeah. And he knew how to cut to you. He knew how to get you behind it. He could sell a pay-per-view just on the words alone. And there's a f very few guys in this business that can still do that. One of them is Paul Heyman. <laughs> right <laughs> but there's there's very few guys that can do that and i do think as time has gone on we i'm i'm seeing that cody can do that he can cut a good promo it's very good and i know i'm sort of transitioning a little bit to cody here because there's there's uh an influence that i think dusty is having on a current storyline and I'm, uh, just allow me to elaborate, Vito, for a second, okay? This is sort of my, I guess, sort of a little bit of my closing thought-ish here sure. on this. But the current storyline that Cody has with Brock Lesnar, right? It's sort of a uh, kind of David versus Goliath kind of thing. And and it's it in the bigger picture, it's really Cody and Roman. Because he, he, he comes back from the injury, he trains, he does all these things, he wins the Rumble, and then he loses to Cody. He loses to Roman. Uh in the A&E documentary, Cody talks about Dusty and Ric Flair's rivalry together and how the, the fans were clamoring for Dusty to finally beat Ric Flair mm -hmm. and that the story had gone that every time they fought, Dusty would lose. However it would happen, Dusty would lose. Dusty would lose. Dusty would lose. And then finally, I think it was like the third or fourth time he finally beats him and how joyous of a occasion that was. And I think it was like a cage match or something. And the crowd is going wild because they've seen this guy not give up and continue to fight and continue to, to strive to beat him, even though he didn't beat him the first time. And that's a lot of waiting for a wrestling audience to have with a story. And I think we lose that a little bit today because everybody looked at that WrestleMania match and said, well, if he didn't win it then, then I guess he's never going to win it, which is just utter bullshit. And it's impatience. But I think there's an influence there. The way Cody talked about that rivalry with Dusty and, and Ric Flair, I get the sense, maybe I'm, I'm just creating something in my head here, but I think he and maybe even Triple H are sort of working to recreate in sort of the modern era a little bit of this quest of it's not going to be the first time because that's not the real American dream. It doesn't always happen the first time. You're going to falter. You're going to fall short and you got to get it back up and you're going to have to keep fighting. And sometimes other obstacles are going to get in your way a, a, along that route, but you can work through them and you can eventually achieve that. So all I'm saying all of that to stick with my prediction that next year, WrestleMania, it's going to be Cody and Roman again. And I think this time Cody will beat him. I That's mean, just been a prediction, not a spoiler, I don't... But a prediction. I'm not Paul Heyman here. I don't know that I can I can say anything better than that, Mikey Cash. I think that is a great uh, a great uh, analysis of the storyline and a great parallel to uh, Dusty Rhodes. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, yeah, I think you covered it right there. Yeah.
should we give people some recommended watching? I mean, definitely watch the documentaries. Those are great. Uh, yeah. Yep. I would definitely watch those too. Um, you know, I think the A and E documentary is a little bit more current. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, I, I, not that the other one that WWE produced wasn't. I just think that the A and E one is a little bit more current and um, uh, does a, a little bit better job. Yeah, it, it's good. Uh, people should watch any of the early Starcades, pretty much from yeah. like 83 through like 87. Watch those because there's a lot of good Dusty Rhodes, Ric Flair, Holly, Harley race matches. Yeah, nope, I agree. I agree. So what I think, uh, I, I feel like we've reached the end here, Vito. There, yeah. There's just, there, there's hard times to say baby. about the American dream other than it was, now it's over, or at least this was, episode is over. <laughs> it was hard times, baby. Hard times, baby. We're going to have to produce and publish this episode as soon as we can. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, well, folks, uh, we want to, we just want to say thank you for listening today. Uh, it's been a lot of fun getting back into the saddle with big Vito and, uh, you know, keep an eye out on those podcast feeds. We got some episodes coming down, obviously, in the summertime. We, you know it for us as well as probably all of you guys. Life gets a little busy. So uh, we probably won't be releasing as often as uh, we typically do. But uh, stay stay on the lookout for that. Stay lookout on the website. Uh, we're going to try to get some, some articles up there to hold everybody over until we can get another episode up. But, uh, you know, in, until the meantime, uh, keep on strutting, jabronis. We now return your perception of reality to you. Until next time.